This is the NC Everything Podcast, a show where we talk about everything that has anything to do with North Carolina. Hey everybody and welcome to the show. If you're new to this show, this is a weekly podcast where we talk about North Carolina. Now, this isn't a chronological show. I didn't start at the beginning of time and work my way till now. I literally just think about North Carolina all week while I'm at work. And when I think of something interesting, I make a note about it. And I got a whole list on my phone. And when I'm ready to record something or getting ready to record something, I'll go through my phone and pick a topic. Pretty random. Start doing the research. And then we get to where we are right now where I'm yelling into a microphone. Well, I'm not exactly yelling, but I probably should be. I, I wonder about the audio sometimes on this show. Anyway, for all you new guys, if you're interested in listening to other episodes, you can go to my website at www.thenceverythingpodcast.com, and there you'll find all my old episodes and the show notes that are linked with the episodes. Now, in the show notes, I have links to all my sources I use for the research, and if there's any pictures that I can post or, or link to for the episode, you'll find those in the show notes. Um, also on the website, there's an about me page um, and about the show. Um, a few other things. I have I work on the website pretty much every week and change a few things and add a few things. So, so definitely go check that out if you're interested. As for all you returning listeners... Um, I hope you've enjoyed the the past few episodes. I hope you enjoyed all the episodes. Um, the last one it it got a little in depth with the the Moorhead Planetarium and the Moorhead Family Tree. Um, maybe it was unnecessary, but I thought it was important. And for everybody, if you like the show, whether you're new or been here a while, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Um, the subscription more or less, you'll get a notification in some form whenever I post a new show, which will be every Saturday. But also, behind the scenes, the subscriptions allow me to see who's listening to the show and and who really likes the show. I appreciate everybody who listens, even if it's for 15 seconds. But on paper, or in the cyberspace, the only way you really get, I guess, documented in my analytics is if you subscribe. Now, don't feel obligated. I'm not making any money off this show, and that is okay with me. But seeing the numbers out there does help uh, encourage me to get back in here early in the mornings and record this thing. Okay, based on my recording timer, that's three minutes of talk, and that's a little longer than I normally go. So let's go ahead and get into the content. In this episode, which will be episode 20 if everything goes right, we're going to head up in the hills again. And this time we're going to Swain County because I'm talking about the road to nowhere, which is on the outskirts of Bryson City. Now, if you've never heard of the road to nowhere, don't worry. I hadn't ever heard of the road to nowhere until the first time I heard about the road to nowhere. My point is, everybody's got to have a first time for everything. And I'll tell you all about it right here. But first, let's start kind of at the beginning because I spent a lot of time researching and I don't want to squander that. Uh, Swain County was named after Governor David Lowry Spain. Swain. He was governor of North Carolina from 1832 to 1835. Now, in 1835, when his governorship was over, 
he became the president of the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And he remained president of UNC for 33 years until 1868. Now, on the larger scheme of things, that really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the road to nowhere, but um, this has become pretty much a history podcast, and I wanted to give you that little bit of history. So moving on, the road to nowhere is the result of President Roosevelt, believe it or not. And that's got a little backstory along with it too. So here we go. In 1933, President Roosevelt signed the Tennessee Valley Authority Act. And this act established, well, the Tennessee Valley Authority. And just so you know, um, most people, including myself for the rest of this episode, called the Tennessee Valley Authority, the TVA. Now, for you country music fans, if the TVA sounds familiar, well, Alabama has a song called Song of the South, and in the song, he talks about Papa got a job with the TVA. Yes, that's the same company. Now, you might be wondering why the band Alabama has anything to do with Bryson City, North Carolina. Well, they, they really don't, but the TVA, as you're going to learn here in a few minutes, had a, a wide, wide area, um, seven states to be in fact. And the members of the band Alabama come from Fort Payne, Alabama, which is right in the heart of the TVA zone. All right, one last digression. If you ever get a chance to go to Fort Payne, Alabama, check out the Alabama Museum. It's really, really awesome. Okay, back to the story now. So the TVA was one of President Roosevelt's Depression-era New Deal programs. And he mainly wanted to provide jobs and electricity to the rural areas of Tennessee, North Carolina, and, and Let's see. Remember I said it was seven states? That was Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Kentucky, Georgia, North Carolina, and Virginia. Now, truthfully, the TVA did provide jobs because they built dams, they planted trees for flood control, and they improved navigation along the Tennessee River. However, a politician can't help but be a politician, unfortunately. So one of the ulterior motives about these uh, hydroelectric dams was to provide electricity to a lot of the mountain folks in the area because they're burning, uh, you know, candles and lanterns and what a government can't cash in if you ain't paying for electricity. And so they built these dams and provided electricity because they were quote unquote helping these people. And of course it wasn't long before they started getting the power bill in the mail. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that these people don't deserve electricity. Everybody who wants it deserves it, but you got to ask yourself, did everybody want it? I guarantee you they didn't want to be kicked off their land, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, let's do this in order. So the TVA act gave the TVA the authority to acquire lands along the Tennessee river and any of its tributaries. And they wanted to acquire this land, uh, supposedly so they could build future dams or, or any kind of projects they had going on. Um, but really, I mean, if you own land, you're never broke and the government doesn't like being broke. So the more land they own, the better off they are, I guess. All right, I got to chill out a little bit. I promise you this isn't an anti-government podcast. But this story will kind of piss you off a little bit. So, by 1934, more than 9,000 people had a job with the TVA. And eventually, they built 16 hydroelectric dams in the Tennessee Valley between 1933 and 1944. But... The thing about building these dams and doing all these projects is all through the mountains and all through everywhere. Now, when you want to do a project, there's a lot of people in the way and well, these people have to go. Remember the trail of tears. 
So one example of the TVA moving people was in the Norse Basin. When the TVA built the Norse Dam, they kicked out 3,500 families in the eastern Tennessee area. Now, most of these families did go to the, the government and ask for help, but they, uh, they didn't get a whole lot from them, as you might guess. But the TVA kept moving on, and they kept growing. And today, the TVA is the largest electricity provider in the United States. They have 30 dams, 8 coal plants, 16 natural gas plants, 3 nuclear plants, 14 solar energy sites, and 1 wind energy site. So the TVA sounds pretty cool until you pull their record and look at all the times they've been sued. Like in 2008, a dam ruptured at the Kingston Fossil Plant in Roan County, Tennessee. And more than a billion gallons of coal ash slurry spilt out, covered the land, and flowed into the Tennessee River. And this was the largest coal ash spill in U.S. history. So I guess that's the cost of, uh, of progress. Man, I'm really bitter in this episode. Um, I'm sorry about that, guys. I don't mean to be bitter. Okay, well, that's enough backstory. Let's get on down to Swain County. Now, I can't claim that I've been all over Swain County. Um, this is one of my favorite areas in North Carolina. I've mentioned that in other, other podcasts. Um, you know, the Cherokee area, Bryson City, Silva, Cullowee. I, I love Western North Carolina. Um, but I have been to Bryson City many, many times. Now, Bryson City is the county seat for Swain County. And if you ever visit, you'll see it's it's an awesome little town. Um, it's not like a big city. It, it looks like a little mountain town. But what draws me there is trains. You see, I, I'm a big kid when it comes to trains. I never grew out of trains. Um, I used to have a bunch of toy trains. When you go to Bryson City, there's several train tracks coming through town. And most of the time, you'll see a train either sitting there or there's a train coming through. And so... I love going there and seeing the trains. They actually have a train museum, and yes, I've been. Uh, I just said the word train a lot. Um, also, they have a great coffee shop, and they got a pretty cool ice cream shop there. And there's there's a ton of shops for such a small town. There There is a ton of shops there. If you're ever in the area, and this isn't just one big long commercial, but if you're ever in the area, definitely check out Bryson City. Anyway, I'm I'm digressing a lot here. Uh, Bryson city in the 1930s and forties was given up. Well, not the whole city parts of Bryson city in the 1930s and forties was given up for two major things. The great, Oh man, the great smoky mountains, national park and the TVA's Fontana Lake. I just want to go ahead and put in right here because I'm a movie buff. Um, if you ever watched a fugitive and you hear him say, I didn't kill my wife. And Tommy Lee Jones says, I don't care. And then he jumps off the dam. Um, the exterior shot of the dam, that's the dam at Fontana Lake. Now, the interior shot where they actually have the conversation, I think, is up in New York somewhere. But if you go back and watch that movie, that exterior shot, that, that zoomed out view of that dam, that's the TVA's dam at Fontana Lake, North Carolina. All right. So when they built Fontana Lake, about 1,300 people were pretty much kicked out of the area. Now, that number might not sound like a lot, 1,300, because like today, you might have three times that many people living in a cul-de-sac community. But in the 1930s and 40s, this would have been pretty drastic. I mean, 1,300 people, they're not living close together. They're really far apart. Um, and I mean, Fontana Lake is humongous. So this is pretty impactful back then. Now, the government didn't help 
any of these people really. Um, and they said it was because a lot of them refused to leave and because they refused to leave, um, we don't have to help you, you know, excuses, excuses. Um, but a lot of them pretty much for the same reason really didn't even get any money for their property. And I swear, you know, again, not to be a, an asshole, but being kicked off your land by the government is a tale as old as time. It seems like in U S history. So anyway, let's talk about the lake. Roosevelt approved funding to build the Fontana Dam because hydropower was needed by the by, by a company called Alcoa, and they were building uh, aluminum sheets for warplanes. And keep in mind, during this time, there were a lot of factories and mills converted into to war factories and mills. You know, the war effort was was incredible, and they were they were really fighting to get enough resources to fight the good fight over in Europe. So the TVA took over 67,800 acres of land, public and private, in Graham and Swain counties. Before long, the Little Tennessee River was dammed up, the land was flooded, and this made the 11,700-acre Fontana Lake. Now, there was a road going out of Bryson City called Highway 288, and Highway 288 is really the center of all this problem. Um, it was the main road in and out of the area, and it ran from Bryson City to a place called Deals Gap, D-E-A-L-S. So when they built the lake, they cut off this road, Highway 288, and this cut off a lot of the residences in Bryson City from getting to their family cemeteries on the other side of the lake. I think I read somewhere that there's 27 family cemeteries over there. Now initially, for the most part, a lot of people didn't complain so much. I mean, it's an inconvenience, but they were, they were doing their duty to help the war effort. That's the way they felt. And the dam, it, it did provide some electricity to like Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And actually Oak Ridge, Tennessee, that's where the atomic bomb was developed. Just another little side note. Now you remember I said they, that the TVA bought about 68,000 acres and the lake was just under 12,000 acres. Um, there was a lot of land left over. I'd like to say right here that the TVA uh, gave that land back to the people and they rebuilt farms and they rebuilt homes and communities. Nope. Instead, the TVA sold that land to the federal government. You see, the TVA was whining and crying about the cost of replacing that submerged road, 288, and so the National Park decided to add it to their existing park. This excess land that they got would become the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, or added to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, I should say. But like I said, the TVA was crying and whining because, you know, they had bills and shit. And so... The TVA, North Carolina, and the National Park Service got together in 1943, and they made a deal. The National Park Service would purchase the land, uh, the extra land, it was 44,000 acres, for $37 an acre. And this money would help the TVA with their bills and shit. The National Park Service, now we're still talking about the agreement they made in 43, the National Park Service would be responsible for building the new road along the north shore of the lake. They planned to build the road little by little, as Congress allocated money to the project. But there was a clause in the agreement. Pretty much, failure on the part of Congress for any reason to make such appropriations shall not constitute a breach or violation of this agreement. So what I'm saying is they made the agreement and they said, well, if Congress don't want to pay, that doesn't really violate the agreement. Um, that sounds like a damn Dr. Seuss contract. And for whatever reason, everybody agreed on it. 
well, I know what reason they were all government agencies, you know, anyway, with their fingers crossed behind their back, the government says, we'll take care of you. And first order business, let's pay those landowners who we kicked off $37 per acre of the land we took from them. Unless you owed back taxes, then you didn't get anything for your property. So if you were a farmer on a hundred acres, you got about 3,700 in today's money. That's about 56,000. And with that money, you could probably buy a small house and on a small property somewhere in 1943. But what if you own 10 acres, you got 370 bucks to start a new life with, well, that's about $5,500 in today's money. So here's $5,000 piss off. That was pretty much the deal. Now let's talk about this new road that they were going to build. Now, like I said, they were going to build it on the North shore of Fontana Lake and they were going to name it the North shore road because you know, they're creative like that. So in 1959 construction of the road began and they ran the road around the lake up to the border of the national park. Now the problem with them building this road, you remember when I said that there was a deal made between the national park, the TVA and North Carolina. Well, you know that the TVA sold the land to the national park and the national park said they would build the road. Well, where North Carolina comes into that deal is the state would build the road up to the border of the national park and then the national park would take over from there. And so Congressman Roy A. Taylor secured 8 million for the construction of the North shore road. And it took about a year to get to the border of the national park. And this is where the national park was supposed to pick up and finish the road. This is where I should have some like dramatic music kick in because in 1962, the national park issued a report and they stated, quote, it appears to be in the public interest to seriously reconsider the plan. Now, I don't know which interested public they were talking to, but I kind of doubt it was the Bryson city public, but it turns out the construction workers had hit an acid bearing rock. And this kind of rock is actually news to me. Some of y'all may have heard about this. But apparently the rock, which was Anakista rock, released a mild sulfuric acid when it was exposed to the elements, and they were worried about this contaminating the water in Fontana Lake. What I read was that snow had fell on the rocks while they were building the road, and it melted immediately. And workers observed this and took note of it, and so that's how they found out about the sulfuric acid in this Anakista rock. And so, in 1968, with only seven miles of the 26-mile plan complete, construction came to a halt. Now, I read that the environmental concerns were eventually settled. I couldn't find any more on that. But even though they were settled by whatever means, the construction of the road was never commenced. And Swain County officials continued to lobby for the federal government to hold up their 1943 agreement. Even in the 70s and 80s, they were still trying to get this road built. In 1975, Governor James Holzhauser proposed a cash settlement. And that sounds good and everything, but keep in mind, these people didn't have money to begin with. Why would they want money now? That wasn't the point. They wanted to be able to get to their family cemeteries on the other side of the lake. They were cut off from the land that they've always lived on. Now, it's easy to say, hey, we'll give you some money for your problems, but actually coming through with that, I guess, is a, a lot more difficult because during a visit to Washington, D.C., a, a Swain County attorney threw out a starting figure of $25 million. But the National Park Service kind of laughed at that and said, we don't think so. 
1978, Secretary of the Department of Interior, named Cecil Andrus, he came to Swain County and kind of looked around at the situation, and he went back to Washington and appointed a committee to explore the controversial agreement. This guy, Andrus, proposed a $9.8 million settlement based on the value of the road in 1940. Now, there were other cash settlements proposed in bills, but none of these bills ever made it out of legislation. Now, during all this, the National Park Service was trying to make the residences of Swain County happy without having to come off any money and without really affecting the environment too much. They offered to build a four-mile road with a cultural heritage center, a cultural, well, a cultural heritage center, a picnic area, a boat dock, and a visitor center. But Swain County thumbed their nose at this. They said they were not interested in a compromise. Eventually, the Build the Road Coalition was formed, and it was supported by U.S. Representative Charles Taylor. Now, he was a chairman of the Department of Interior Appropriations Subcommittee. A lot of the people had confidence that, that he could get the money needed to finish the road. By 2000, he'd already gotten $16 million put into the project. However, by this time, the Swain County Board of Commissioners and Governor Mike Easley, on behalf of the state, had pretty much thrown out their support behind the cash settlement. In 1978, descendants of the original um, Swain County residents, the ones that were kicked out, they formed the North Shore Cemeteries Association. And they began organizing uh, family cemetery decoration days for about 20 families along the North Shore of Fontana Lake. And as far as I know, that, that still goes on. I think I read somewhere that, I don't remember if if it's every Sunday, I don't know if it's weekly or monthly, but um, the National Park Service provides a boat that'll take people across the lake to go visit their family in the cemeteries. And I actually heard them talk about this on another podcast. Apparently, they'll go and they'll take a bunch of food and stuff and they'll put flowers on the graves and they'll have literally a, a big feast, you know, like a big picnic out in the woods by these cemeteries. And that sounds really cool, but the reason they have to do this is is just really sad and really frustrating. So now we're we're at 2010. In 2010, the U.S. Department of Interior signed a settlement agreement to pay Swain County $52 million instead of building the road. However, getting the government to actually pay that money has been a bumpy road from then till now. I mean, I actually read that even Donald Trump was trying to get the money to Swain County. And the last thing I read on it was that the last payment of that $52 million was supposed to be installed uh, in the year 2020, which last year. Now, I looked up before I started recording to see if that was actually done, and I, I couldn't find whether or not they got their last payment of the $52 million. But like I said, I'm not sure how much the money matters. I mean, yeah, it'll help Bryson City, but these people, and a lot of them now are elderly, their family cemeteries are a long ways away. Now today, you can go and ride on the road to nowhere. I've been on it a few times. You you go right down through the heart of Bryson City, and you get on the, the I guess the North Shore Road is what it's called, and you will ride about seven miles, and then the road comes to like a parking lot that they have built because there's a tunnel there. So you park in this, this small parking lot and you can get out and you can walk through the tunnel. The The tunnel is, um, it's a full, full length tunnel. It's completed. Um, after the tunnel, the road goes on for a little while, a little, a little while, a little ways longer. Um, but it more or less it ends at the tunnel. 
Now, I'm going to post pictures of this tunnel uh, in the show notes, so don't forget to check them out. But um, not not many people get a chance to walk through a mountain tunnel. And like I said, I know this story is frustrating and aggravating, and I'm not trying to be a too much of a tourist. But if you go to Bryson City, you should check out this tunnel on the road to nowhere. Um, because when you walk through it, you can see light on the other side. Um, I forgot to look up how long this tunnel is. You can see light on the other side, but me and my wife and kid walked through this tunnel one time. And when you get in the very middle of it, uh, there is no light touching the middle of this tunnel. You can't see your hand in front of your face. You can't see anything. Um, you can see light on each side of the tunnel, but no light touches the middle of this area. Now, if you were to light it up in there, you would see uh, a ton of graffiti in there. And not necessarily bad. I, I think a lot of people kind of spray paint their name or there's there's some art, artsy looking stuff in there too. Um, I would be careful if you go up here though, because you can't see anything in the middle of the tunnel. So you can't see if anybody's kind of waiting in the middle of the tunnel to, I, I don't know, jump you, hurt you, whatever. You know, people suck. Don't trust them. Now, I think, uh, I think there's actually a hiking trail. You know, they've made an official hiking trail past the tunnel where you can go. And I haven't done it, but I've heard there's a pretty good view of Fontana Lake from, from up there. Um, but I've also heard that a lot of shady people like to hang out in the woods back there behind the tunnel. Um, I don't know for sure, but I've heard stuff about devil worshipers and cult groups hanging out back there. And, you know, who knows what people do, but... If you go up here, if you go anywhere in a secluded area, you know, watch your back, take precautions, let people know where you're going and when you plan on coming back, because it's, it's a dangerous place out there. And like I said, people, people are crazy. Uh, as far as walking through the mountains and, and the dangers, you know, the animals, the bears and stuff, that's, that's really the least of your worries. But anyway, that's all I have on Bryson City and the road to nowhere. I hope you enjoyed the show. And like I said at the beginning, go to my website at www.thencaverythingpodcast.com and check out the show notes for this show and all my other episodes. Also, don't forget to subscribe because it really gives me that warm, fuzzy feeling in my stomach. And leave me a comment if you want because I love hearing from you. As you can see, I don't have a co-host, so this is kind of a lonely little business here, and it's nice to hear from the people listening to the show. And you don't have to have something incredible to say. You can just say hey or bye, tell me you love the show, tell me you hate the show, give me suggestions for possible episodes, or tell me what you think about the audio or how I can improve the show. Um, I'm, I'm doing this for you guys, so I definitely want to hear from you. And with that little bit of bell ringing and self-promotion, all I can say now is... I'll talk to you next time. The music in this episode comes from archesaudio.com and freepd.com. <laughs>